Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production from iHeartRadio. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with iHeartRadio and I love all things tech. And it is time for a classic episode of Tech Stuff. This one published way back on June 11th, 2014. It's a follow-up to our last classic episode. This one is How Carbon Fiber Works. If you listened to the previous one, it was the history of carbon fiber. Now we're going to get into more about what makes carbon fiber special. Hope you enjoy. Let's start really quick with a with a brief overview of what carbon fiber is. Um, it's it's made up of thin strands of crystalline carbon, um, like like a really thin, like human hair or thinner. Yeah, thin, yeah, yeah. That have been uh, twisted into yarn type stuff and then woven into cloth type stuff. Right. And then usually treated with some kind of resin and molded into a final shape. Right. Which it will then hold. So it's not. You know, it, it's not like you put it in a shape and then like regular cloth, it then you know loses that shape. You actually that resin helps it hold that that particular shape so that you end up uh, with a really strong, really light material. Right. And I forgot one step at the beginning there, which is you have to create a this you have to create this carbonized material. Right. This crystalline carbon strand. Um, which you do with stuff called a precursor, yep. which can be made with, it is most commonly made with rayon polyacrylonitrile, a.k.a. pan, which we're probably going to use more often than polyacrylonitrile. Certainly I will. <laughs> um, or petroleum pitch. Yep. So these uh, precursor fibers, with the exception of petroleum pitch, this is all stuff that we are making synthetically. Uh, you know, you're, we're, we're creating polymers. Polymers are, are long chain molecules. Uh, they're made up of monomers. A monomer, think of that as like a basic unit of a polymer. So you get these really long chains and then we carbonize them. So what, how do we carbonize? Well, for one thing, we use chemicals to alter the molecules in the fiber to create a perfect chain of carbon atoms. And these precursor fibers are pulled through an oxidation oven for a couple of minutes. And that oven's temperature is about 200 50 degrees Celsius. So the fibers then take on oxygen atoms from the air while in the this oven. Now, this is not the actual carbonization process right. here. This is just pre-treatment. Kind of like when you take your car in to get car washed, and this is the pre-wash part of the wash. We should probably do an episode about car washes at some point and find out which one, which of those stages are actually necessary. Oh, yeah. But <laughs> getting back to the carbon fiber, the... Incorporation of oxygen atoms into the molecular structure of the fibers uh, makes the fibers actually resistant to high heat, which is very important because of uh, an upcoming step. Now, at that time, the color of these precursor fibers changes as it oxidizes and eventually turns black. So whenever you hear something like uh, carbon black and you, you know, it's that particular color, like I remember this all the time in video games where you're choosing your like Halo particularly, where you're cha- choosing your armor color. Oh, it's, yeah. It's because it's taking it from the carbon fiber color and the color tends to be black because that's what happens through the oxidation phase. So next you put these oxidized fibers, the ones that have been tempered for high heat, to go into another furnace. And this one has controlled amounts of other gases, but not oxygen. Uh, because you don't want the fibers to burn. Right. Because in the presence of oxygen, those fibers become fuel and then you just get fire. Right. And then an ash is less strong. Yeah. Yeah. If you just burn up your material, you are not doing it right. So what you have to do is you have to have these other gases that can introduce uh, other types of atoms into the molecular structure 
for instance, hydrogen, perhaps, uh, but non-oxygen. So that way you don't actually have uh, a fire. You don't end up burning the stuff. Uh, right. So so with this tremendous heat, the the fibers vibrate and the atoms that are not carbon vibrate right out of this stuff. Yep. Resulting in this carbonized material. Exactly. So we get these carbon atoms and they are becoming these tightly packed crystals that run parallel to the length of the fiber. The fibers then go through a bath of electrically charged water, which etches the surface of the fibers. It actually carves into the surface of the fiber a little bit, and those etched surfaces create anchor points for resin. Oh, cool. Yeah, because otherwise, you know, the resin wouldn't necessarily adhere evenly to the carbon fiber, making it less useful. This is a way of sort of giving those little handholds. I think of it like a rock wall with the little handholds in them, similar to that. So next, you have to spray the fibers with a light resin. Now, that that is important for two reasons. It helps improve the fiber's material strength, and it creates a bonding agent for any future resin that would be applied to that carbon fiber. So this is not the stuff that makes carbon fiber uh, adhere to a specific shape. Uh, right. It's not moldable resin. Right. This is just so that if it's a pretreatment. Exactly. If you want to apply moldable resin to it, that resin will adhere better. So everything here is all about pretreating this stuff so that it can eventually be put through whatever manufacturing process you want to continue down the road in order to get at whatever you're making. For example, a golf club um, or an airplane. Who knows? You could do either with these this sort of stuff. So then you have the finished carbon fiber, which is called a carbon fiber toe, and you wind that on a spool. So this is the stuff that other companies buy as raw material, which then they can braid, weave, mold, or otherwise alter to make into their final product. Now, carbon fiber toes can also be grouped together in larger amounts called a web. Now, these webs can be put through a process that ends with a sheet of carbon fiber material. It's kind of cool. It looks like just an enormous black sheet of fabric, but that fabric is actually carbon fiber. So that fabric is five times stronger than steel and lighter than steel and more, more, it can be stiffer than steel if you apply the resin to it. I mean, it's, it's interesting to think that something that looks like cloth right. could have these properties. Now, see, the web is sandwiched between sheets of paper that have a resin coating on them. Sounds familiar, right? Got a mm-hmm. lot of resin in this process. <laughs> But these sheets are pulled through a high temperature pair of rollers. So think of the ringers we talked about with uh, the washing machines. Same sort of thing. You're putting this whole thing. Those those rollers are, are at a high temperature. They're pressed together really tightly. And what this does is you get this protective layer uh, over that, that carbon fiber uh, sheet. And then you remove the two pieces of paper. They just peel away because mm-hmm. uh, part of the material in there. It's kind of like a no-stick coating, sort of like Teflon. Sure. And so you pull the, the paper away and you roll the uh, the carbon fiber material, like the big sheet of material, onto giant, giant spools. Uh, you do have to put a little polyvinyl coating on them so that way it, it's actually like a so little sheet of plastic. So it stick to itself? Exactly. Okay. But they look like, and I am not the only one to have used this comparison, enormous fruit roll-ups. <laughs> And like enormous fruit roll-ups, they have that little plastic coating to keep oh, it from sure. sticking to itself. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or fruit leather, if you prefer. Hmm. Right. <laughs> Less proprietarily, yes. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, that 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 resin 
uh, job there reminds me a lot of uh, if you as a child ever made ever preserved leaves or flowers in mm-hmm. wax paper yep. by 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 ironing it down so that so that you got that thin layer of wax. Yep. Similar to that. Similar. Very similar. So now this entire process uh, does have some downsides to it. I mean, uh, not the flower pressing thing. No, 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 no. Carbon fiber. Thing. <laughs> yes. If you're not careful, the flower pressing thing, too. But no, I'm specifically talking about creating carbon fiber and not just the carbon fiber sheets. I'm just talking about the whole process of carbon fiber in general. Uh, one of those is that it tends to give off a lot of dangerous gases, including carbon monoxide. So the smokes and tars that are given off in this process are not necessarily poisonous, but can contribute to serious health issues with prolonged exposure so one of the things that's really important in the facilities that make carbon fibers is that they have really good ventilation so that the people who work inside them don't get sick over time. Oh, sure. And really good collection so that you're not polluting the environment. Yeah. So this is a, an, a process that could potentially be uh, harmful to the environment just through the production process. Now, we talked in the last podcast about how the fact that it's lighter and stronger than steel means that using it for vehicles means you use less fuel for that vehicle. Which it makes is, it more efficient. Sure. Yeah, and it makes it environmentally friendly from a fuel consumption process. But like all things, you have to look at the enormous Entire, picture. Right, yeah. Which, you know, it's one of those things where every time I start getting really excited about technology, thinking, oh, clean energy, and then I start looking beyond about how do you make the clean energy, and then I think, oops. Curses. Yeah, yeah. there needs to be a magic button, guys. That's <laughs> all I'm saying. But anyway, you, you classify this stuff According to the tensile modulus of the fiber. Tensile modulus? It's a measure of how stiff the fiber is. Oh, okay. Yeah, but that's that's the term within the industry is tensile modulus. And I bet, because because of the way that the world works, uh, there is both an English system and an international system for dealing with this, yeah? You are absolutely correct. So the English system would be pounds of force per square inch of cross-sectional area, also known as PSI, PSI. Then the international system of units would be the Pascal, which is also known as force per unit area. So one Pascal is one Newton of force per square meter, uh, meaning that it is uh, interesting to try and convert between the two. <laughs> Fortunately, the the various sources we looked at spelled it all out for us. So we didn't have to. We didn't there. have to do the math. Yeah, we didn't have to worry about being the ones who messed up a conversion. So if these conversions I are messed up... I usually let Google do that for me. Not yeah. that Google usually messes up conversions, No, it's, I if, if I mess up a conversion, it's because I accidentally didn't realize I put the wrong unit in on one side of the conversion. Yeah. Uh, so fortunately, in this case, we didn't have to worry about that. So low-modulus carbon fiber have a tensile modulus below 34.8 million PSI or 240 million kPa, that's kilopascals, and on the other end of the spectrum is the ultra-high modulus that has a tensile modulus of 72.5 to 145 million PSI, Oof. or 500 million to 1 billion kilopascals. Oof. Now, in between those two extremes are levels like standard modulus, intermediate modulus, and high modulus. And if you wanted to compare it to steel. Uh, yeah, yeah. So for, you know, for baseline comparison. Right. Because often that's what we like to look at, right? Carbon fiber versus steel. I mean, sure. wa- otherwise, why use carbon fiber at mm-hmm. all if steel were, were better? So steel has a tensile modulus of around 29 million PSI 
or 200 million kilopascals. So close, but but not even reaching the the low modulus. Yeah, yeah, the low modulus was 34.8 million psi or 240 million kilopascals. So that means that if you go with the strongest carbon fibers, you get 10 times the uh, the the, the strength of steel. Right, the tensile modulus. If you want to be really picky, <laughs> uh-huh. but yes, yeah, strength is how we usually call it. So steel is five times heavier than carbon fiber. And carbon fiber is 10 times stronger than steel. Or if can be. Yeah. yeah, if you're using the ultra high version. So that's pretty cool. And that is, I mean, again, one of the big reasons why everyone is is really excited by this this particular type of material. Oh, absolutely. But but OK, so aside from those pollution related drawbacks that we mentioned earlier, there are unfortunately some others with this material. We touched on them briefly in the previous episode, but let's go a little bit further into them. However, before we do so, let us take a quick break to thank our sponsor. I like saving the negative stuff for after the sponsor break. Let's talk about some drawbacks. All right. So we mentioned earlier in our first episode, in fact, that carbon fiber is expensive and we mean really expensive. It's like $10 a pound on the low end, whereas steel is something like a dollar per pound. Now, we should say this is an improvement from 20 years ago. In the 1990s. Yeah. Right. Carbon fiber back then cost 150 bucks a pound. So the price has dropped precipitously, one might say, since the 1990s, but uh, still, sure. still more expensive than steel. Yeah. And, and the price is because of that really intricate manufacturing process that we just talked through. Yeah. Um, the, the, the raw materials are more like $4 per pound. Right. Which, to be fair, is still four times what steel costs. Yeah, I mean, you're, you, and that's just to make those raw materials, I mean, or buy those raw materials before you put them through the carbon fiber process. So what exactly is making the process expensive? Okay. First off, those furnaces, uh, not the original furnaces. Not the oxidization, but the carbonization. Right. Uh, they run around or even in excess of a thousand degrees Celsius, which is over 1800 degrees Fahrenheit, meaning you've got a really big power bill. Man, I always worry if I've left the oven on. Oh, yeah. The the process uses some five times more energy than steel production. Oof. Okay. Also, uh, venting the waste materials safely is expensive. Yep. And we talked about how carbon monoxide is one of the big things that's let out in this process. Right, right. Um, and uh, weaving the stuff for maximum safety is expensive. You have to use a lot of fibers to compensate for, for potential imperfections in the weave that could cause strain and eventual breakage within the fabric. Mm. Um, also, it takes longer to create a piece than it does to just stamp out a piece of steel. I, you know, it, it's this huge three-part process, mm-hmm. um, it takes an hour to cure the resin alone. So we're talking we're talking about bunches of time. Okay, but all right, I see here you actually looked more into the resin itself. I'm really interested in this process. Uh, right. Okay, so if you make it with the most common resin, which is thermoset resin, it's in that shape forever. Um, it's, it's really difficult to reform, melt down, or recycle thermoset resin carbon fiber. Mm. Um, if you do try to recycle this stuff, uh, the, the resulting carbon fiber is weaker. It's too weak to be used, for example, in a car body. 
uh, for, for safety standards. Sure. So there's greater potential for waste in both manufacturing and the post-consumer market. I mean, if, if you set this thing wrong, right. it, I mean, you've basically just wasted this huge expensive process. So if your molds are off even by a little bit, yeah. then you're, you're stuck with the shape that you've got and you can't easily break it down and just make a new one because it's going to be less strong. It'll be too weak. To uh, really possibly, use. depending upon what the application was. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's a big drawback. Yeah. Um, there, there are some possible solutions to this that the industry is looking into other than the manufacturing streamlining that Jonathan was talking about earlier. Um, and those are um, using strong acrylics in place of carbon fibers or perhaps in combination with carbon fibers. Mm-hmm. Um they're experimenting with heating the stuff with plasma instead of the thermal furnaces that are currently in use. You know, I love plasma furnaces. Pla- they're pretty. They're pretty cool. I've, I've talked not literally at length about plasma <laughs> furnaces. So, um, or or possibly using remeltable thermoplastic resins in place of the permanent thermoset resins that are currently in use. Now, that's interesting. Now, obviously, with that particular approach, you would have to make sure whatever application you are using. Uh, the carbon fiber for wasn't going to bring it into contact with temperatures too high. Right. So obviously, like the Maybe aerospace, not aerospace yeah, exactly. That would be that would be one where I think the permanent thermoset would definitely be the the way to go because they undergo such extremes in temperature that anything that could potentially weaken the the structure would be uh, a big negative for that particular application. Uh, sure. One more downside before we get on to happier news, though. Um, the A lot of the precursor materials are petroleum-based. Mm-hmm. And so, you, you know, which, which obviously uh, petroleum is an expensive and non-renewable resource unless you've got a few billion years to play with. Yeah, if you don't mind, you know, stretching out your lifespan to beyond what is conceivable, then you're fine. But otherwise, well, you, could, you could reach a point where... In 20 to 40 years, we're going to have the singularity. That's so, true. That's true. So I guess, I guess millions of years. I guess it's really millions, not billions of years. I apologize, guys. Well, I was it's over, like I was, hundreds of millions of years, so it's fine. I was overstating things. Yeah, that's um, true. That's true. <laughs> but, Exaggeration in order to make a point. <laughs> but, but so researchers are looking into renewable precursors like lignin, which is a wood byproduct. That would be really useful. So it's kind of funny, too, because in a way... It's looking back to the earliest days of carbon fibers right. where we were using cotton and bamboo to mm-hmm. create carbon fiber. Time for another quick break, and we'll be right back. Now, let's talk about some of the other benefits. When, when you treat this carbon fiber with the right resin, it ends up being resistant to corrosives, which makes it an ideal material for pipes that tend to carry corrosive liquids. Oh. And their fatigue properties are better than any metal. Oh, wow. So by having these pipes, you don't have to worry about them wearing out as quickly. They're not going to corrode based upon whatever materials moving through them. They are themselves inert, so you don't have to worry about chemical reactions going on in there. So that would be one of the big benefits if we were able to make enough of it to be used in that kind of uh, infrastructure. Uh, sure. Also, that strength. Uh, really is impressive. Uh, Formula One race cars are made all of carbon fiber. Well, I guess not all of carbon fiber. I mean, you know, they've got the, pieces. Right, bits, but the but, body is uh-huh. made of it. Yeah. Uh, and that's more as a safety regulation than anything else. So, sure. so if we could bring down the cost of the manufacturer, it could 
potentially save lives. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you end up making even basic car designs much stronger just by switching the materials they're made out of. And then uh, something kind of cool that I, I read before we started uh, really getting into this podcast. It was just a neat little little news item. And uh, I encourage folks who are interested to go and look up the Mark I 3D printer. It's billed as the world's first 3D printer designed to print continuous carbon fiber. So it uses a process called composite filament fabrication, or CFF, which embeds continuous strands of fibers in a thermoplastic matrix. Uh, so you could actually print carbon fiber pieces, like you could print uh, various components in carbon fiber. Uh, right, with that thermoplastic that I was talking about being uh, being remeltable and remoldable. And so uh, you might be thinking, hey, how much would one of these things run me? So... If you want to pre-order one of these, because they don't, they they haven't been out on the market yet, you can pre-order one. Uh, the cost is a lowly four thousand nine hundred ninety-nine dollars, which yeah. you know for three D printers yeah. really isn't that expensive. No, I mean if you're looking at at three D printers that are printing in uh, in ABS plastic, which is typically what other three D printers use, those tend to be less expensive. But ABS plastic's not as strong. In fact. The printed materials are supposed to be up to 20 times stiffer and five times stronger than ABS plastic parts. Wow. So if you are building things that have a lot of uh, wear to them over time, this could be a good solution because it means you don't have to print replacements as frequently. Uh, sure. Although, I mean, I, I imagine that the cash to purchase the materials to put into your printer. Is... Yeah, it might be more expensive to get the actual, like, quote unquote, the toner right. than ABS. <laughs> Right. So that is something else to take into consideration. But yeah, so this material has has a huge amount of current use and future promise. Yeah. In fact, I, I remember some people even going so far as to look into the use of carbon fibers as a potential uh, tether material for space elevators. But as it turns out, when you do the math, it looks like uh, carbon fibers wouldn't be strong enough. It wouldn't have the tensile strength uh. to, to withstand the forces. Yeah, because it's not quite as strong as carbon nanotubes. I mean, the problem with carbon nanotubes being there that, you know, you can't get them as long as you can carbon. Fiber. Yeah, yeah. Producing carbon nanotubes is a big problem right now. Like while we're getting closer and closer to to really efficient means of making carbon fiber uh, more uh, plentiful due to the manufacturing process improvements over time, we're a long way with carbon nanotubes. I mean, we've seen some promising uh, developments, but, you know, it's still going to be a while. Hope you enjoyed that classic episode of Tech Stuff. We're going to uh, take a another look at carbon fiber soon, I think. I was considering it earlier. I think I'm pretty firm on that. If you have suggestions for things I should tackle in future episodes of Tech Stuff, reach out to me. The best way to do that is over on Twitter. The handle for the show is TechStuffHSW. And I'll talk to you again really soon. Tech Stuff is an iHeartRadio production. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.